how do you measure apostasy? You know, the quantity the of apostasy. Ap- meter. Yeah, the apostasy. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm your host, Daniel Fox, here with my great friend, Tom Belzamo. How are you, Tom? Good. Good. I'm here. Good. We have uh, we've in, uh, enjoyed our uh, pre-episode, pre-show conversation um, in which we really had a good laugh over um, what would they call it, mischief night? Mischief night. Mischief. Yeah, I don't even know how we have, ended up talking about. Have it. Have our listeners ever heard of mischief night? I, I'm I am uh, what am I? I'm in my early forties and I've never heard of mischief night. Uh, at least not that I can remember. And granted, I don't have good memory, but uh, Mischief Night. Can our listeners identify what Mischief Night is? That's the question. I'll bet some of them can. And and I'll bet it depends. I'll bet it depends entirely on where they (laughs) grew up. Yeah. And that was the difference. Uh, That was uh, the large difference because I was raised in, well, I mean, first first, uh, half of my pre-college life was in a kind of a nice... um, set off neighborhood just uh, outside of Notre Dame University. And then the second half was out in the country. So I certainly wouldn't have quite had the exposure maybe that you did um, in a city neighborhood, right? Jersey? Yeah, I grew up in a duplex Kirkland. with uh, oh, okay. a yard, front yard so small that some kids could run and jump over it. <laughs> um, like trying to get the leap off the front porch and hit the sidewalk? No, like from side to side, there was this one kid. Yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose you could try it, you know, from off the front porch. But, um, but there was this kid in, in our neighborhood, um, kid that came to church for a little while, BJ. And mm-hmm. he was a real athletic kid. And I remember him trying to jump over our front yard. And I think he did it. It wasn't wasn't that big. That big, so, yeah. 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 And then right past that was the street and uh, on street parking, you know, which was always great. I didn't appreciate as a kid how annoying that must have been because I wasn't the yes. driver. But, you know, having to parallel park or park on the street in front of your house all the Every time. Every time you came home. Yeah, right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So your parents are probably like professional parallel parkers. Triple P. That I, I don't remember. I don't remember. I think my dad did it mostly, but yeah. yeah. Anyway, I digress. All right. Well, so if you know what Mischief at Night is, uh, let us know. And, uh, and we won't judge yeah. you for knowing. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, or not knowing. Um, anyway, we want to thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash reason together. Those who have uh, come on board to, uh, financially support this podcast. We certainly appreciate, uh, your investment. And, uh, if you've been listening to the conversation and you appreciate, um, whether it's the content or the approach or the manner in which we as friends can bounce these things off and you feel like this is something yeah. you'd like to support, you can go to patreon.com slash reason together and uh, sign up for any yeah. one of uh, a number of tier levels there. Or if you appreciate none of those things and you just like <laughs> Daniel's laugh. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, you can become a supporter for Daniel's laugh. <laughs> Yeah. Over at patreon.com slash reason together. <laughs> yeah. Now I, I'd say when, when I get the notification that you signed up, I probably won't laugh. I'll be like, wow. But yeah, it, it'll, it, I mean, I'll feel relieved when yeah. I come to the podcast and just, you know, can be lighthearted and. Yeah. We just need an entire 45 minute episode <laughs> cut together of all of Daniel's laughs. <laughs> just 45 minutes straight of Daniel laughing. That wow. Would, that, yeah. That, that could and be we therapeutic. Can have 
Yeah, and we could have an elite elite patron <laughs> tier <laughs> yeah. where only those members get get that sound five minute yeah. Daniel laugh. Right, right. <laughs> if you're going through a difficult time in your life, just play this uh, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Oh. Um, well. What are we doing here? <laughs> okay. Okay. So anyway, uh, if you're not familiar with our podcast, we like to just discuss <laughs> all kinds of stuff. And we're not necessarily giving you answers. We're just reasoning together about it. And uh, and hopefully you'll be a part of that conversation um, and join us at reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com. Give us your thoughts. Give us your feedback. Uh, even some questions you've had, um, things that have been bouncing around in there. You say, how does that connect with scripture? How do, does that have any effect on the life of a Christian or what should they think? Um, feel free to uh, send that our way, reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we uh, we should probably get into some some episode stuff here. We've yeah, got yeah, yeah. some feedback. We've got some new things from listeners. Um, where where to begin? OK, let's maybe hit a little bit of the feedback since uh, they're from previous episodes. I don't want to let it get too old. Um, we had discussed a while back on a passage in Ezekiel. Somebody had asked the question. Um, there were there was three people named Job, Daniel, and Noah. And someone had asked the question: Was there a significance to that name order? And um, anyway, we got a, a fair amount of feedback on that. Believe it or not, and um, and uh, Nathan, uh, one of our patrons, said um, uh, it's maybe worth noting that since Hebrew is written backwards, the original order would have been Job, Daniel, Noah. <laughs> All right. That was his dad joke. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, we he talked, did, yeah, he yeah. did note there parenthetically, right. you asked for a yeah. dad joke. So obviously it wouldn't, uh, the Hebrew being written backwards wouldn't mean that the names were backwards. So right. um, I guess, I guess the original must've been Noah, Daniel, Job. Was that it? Job, Daniel, Noah? What? I don't know. What was the original? I, I, don't I thought the order was, I thought that was the original. Anyway. Okay. So uh, he threw in a, in a joke there and, uh, and, uh, Myself, I'm even having a hard time processing the. Uh, <laughs> no, I knew the joke. I get the joke. It's like, yeah. oh, what, wait, right. what, 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 getting analytical with it. Okay. So, um, and then he says, uh, I think discussing the discussion of the meaning of word order is different from assigning meaning to random numbers in the Bible because we brought up numerology. Yeah. So mm -hmm. uh, he thought there was a difference. Uh, by inquiring about the word order, we are probing for a possible explanation of why God would want the words to be in that order. But in most numerology applications, it seems that the meaning is already apparent. <laughs> it says the statue was 60 cubits tall because that's just how tall it was. <laughs> I mean, we mm -hmm. don't have to wonder why, why was that 60 placed there? Because that's what right. it was. And people are searching for some kind of elusive hidden meaning behind the obvious one, he says. Of course, on, by the same token, perhaps one could just be looking for elusive hidden meanings behind those three names being placed in the order mm -hmm. that they are. But it does seem... Yeah. That there must be some reason they are in that order, whereas the numbers are the way they are just uh, because they describe a thing, which I think that's certainly true of numerology. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, then I think there was even some follow-up to that. You want to cover yes. that? From Omar mm -hmm. here? Um, he says, uh, yeah, I get the cadence thing. Uh, mm -hmm. And just to reference that is one of the things that I had said is is maybe it's possible that simply in the way that the Lord does things in creation that are beautiful, that just mm -hmm, seem mm -hmm. to, to mesh together well, and maybe 
roll off the tongue well. Uh, maybe the word order is just a syntax thing in which it was the most appropriate and beautiful way God wanted to say it. Um, <clears throat> so, so he says, yeah, I get the cadence thing. We do this all the time in normal life. We talk about quote, Joe and Rachel, but it's not just to put the man's name first because we also would say Gail and Dave or Emily and Everett and would never switch the order of those names. What makes it interesting is that almost everyone would put these names in that order without being taught to do so. So, so basically the idea is that in English, there seems to be a tendency for us to say things in a certain way or in a certain order because of our English cadence. But perhaps when when the scriptures were originally inspired here, God has a cadence with which he speaks that is beautiful and appropriate in the mind of God. So uh, I brought up the cadence thing. Omar gives an example here of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I thought that was a good example. I know this sounds like uh, uh, really weird maybe, but as you were saying cadence, like words that just kind of roll off the tongue, right? I thought tiramisu, you know? Tiramisu. Tiramisu. Yeah, that kind of mm. that just sort of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Do you know what tiramisu? You, you like uh, I tiramisu? guess. I mean, if you're eating it right, it stays in your mouth. <laughs> Which way it rolls <laughs> off your tongue is the important part. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so, words are backwards. Hey, if you haven't. Uh, <laughs> oh goodness! So if you hadn't had tiramisu, um, check that out too. Okay. Um, <laughs> good Italian dessert. All right. There. All right. Yeah. What, uh, what, uh, let's see. You've got one down here. I, is, I don't know if that, I don't know if that's a feedback, um, <laughs> but it's just I, the phrase. I, I don't, yeah, I don't even understand the phrase. So I, I thought well, yeah, that, that's yeah. a no peak, but actually it's not a no peak. I, I don't even understand. No, honestly, I didn't get a chance to really write down any thoughts on it because okay. I have no thoughts on it at this point. Okay. Um, someone actually submitted this to me and said, what do you think of the phrase God smiles on us, or God smiles no, on what we're doing. The one is below that the one it. We're talking about? No. Oh, the one we do. Oh, let's <laughs> let's save that one for a little later okay. because I think that'll be a real interesting kind of lead for the episode. Okay. Um, but no, the phrase "God smiles on us." Do you have any thoughts on that? Yay or nay? Is that is that an, a worthy phrase to consider? Uh, um, it's it's okay. I mean, to me, I. I, I feel like, and, and I don't mean to come across offensive, but just from my perspective, it sounds a little shallow in a way. Um, and, and it might, yeah, it depends on like how, how the person's using it. it basically, it's saying um, that God is pleased with what we're doing. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. You know, I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, it depends I, I, on. Uh, it kind of depends on how far somebody takes. Yeah. I mean, I, we could get into the technicals of what do they mean by that? And what's their perspective of God? But if they want to say God smiles on us and they mean that actually on a righteous person, yeah. God, God is pleased with that life. Well, okay. Fine. I yeah. May, I mean, I put it that way, but yeah, I don't know. You know, like God is, is God smiles on our endeavors or whatever. And, you know, it kind of makes me wonder if, is there some meaning about the phrase that I don't get? Cause I mean, I think it just basically means God is pleased with it. Interestingly, just as we're talking here, though, it reminds me of something I heard recently on a different podcast where they spoke of some of the 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 Latin phrasing on American currency. Hmm. Yeah. And there is a phrase in Latin on, I think it's the dollar, um, in which it says something like, he has nodded on our undertakings really? in Latin. 
Yeah. Oh. I could be totally wrong on this. It might not be on the dollar. It might be on a coin. I don't know. But um, I kind of, like I said, it just came to my mind a second ago as we were talking about it. But I think maybe that's kind of the same idea that he approves of our undertakings. Hmm. I, I don't, I don't know. I'm looking at a dollar bill right now. You got it. What are the different phrases on there? Um, this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. <laughs> federal no, like reserve. The Latin ones. The Latin ones. I'm not, I'm Latin honestly, ones? goodness, I'm not seeing a, a Latin, uh, a Latin phrase on here at all. Okay, let me try the other side just a minute. Okay. Uh, well, how do you say like the O-E kind of symbol? Looks like, it looks like an O and an E, but they're smashed together. You know what I'm saying? Would that be an... What's the, what's the whole phrase? Uh, Anui septus, soptus, coptus, however you'd say that. And then no, novus ordo seclorum. Novus yeah. new New something? New order? Uh, what's the uh, new secular order of the pyramid with an eyeball on top? No, I'm not sure what that. Uh, <laughs> it just, um, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe one of those phrases. But I wish I could remember it. It was, uh, it was the podcast. Um, um, the way I heard it with Mike Rowe. He did an okay. episode with a, a, um. I think the guy was a Presbyterian minister, but he's a historian who wrote about George Washington. Okay. E pluribus and, unum, I see that one. Yeah, from, from many one. Okay. Is yeah, I don't see anything else, but then uh, I'm, I'm looking underneath my glasses here to get the better angle on it. Yeah, I, you're doing kind of the... Uh, Kind of the old guy thing. There, yeah, right? I, I never, I didn't used to. Squint. I didn't used to understand. I used, I used to think it was funny that my dad, you know, he'd be reading the paper and then he'd rip off his glasses and move the clip paper closer. And I'd be like, "What?" Uh, you know, like if you just took off your glasses and you're moving it close anyway. <laughs> but yeah. now, now I, now I get it. Yeah. So anyway, all that to say, the phrase "God smiles on us," or even you know, He has nodded on our undertakings, whatever it might be. Um, it, it, in a sense, it can be pretentious because you have to have you know some sort of scriptural principle that indicates your undertakings are such that they would be smiled on by God. Um, you yeah. can't just declare about anything. He has smiled on my endeavors. I mean, I was thinking about. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of like how that would affect someone's perspective of God. You know, I see the grandpa that you do something and he kind of nods your way like, that's good, little boy. Um, um, oh, it's Okay, so thinking of a scripture verse that would come close to talking about can God be pleased with something, sort of, is um, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. So he can be, mm. he can be grieved. Uh, and if he can be grieved, obviously it seems that he could be pleased or, you know, sure. and, and that's obviously if you're walking consistent with his, uh, his design for, for life, you know, and his, yeah, his sure. character and nature. So, okay. Good. Well, if you guys have a thought on uh, what, what do you think of God smiles on us? I mean, not us specifically, but the phrase, uh, <laughs> then uh, yeah. let us know. Um. We've got some feedback here on Blur's Day and the Tribulation. Do we want to hit that sure. real quick? Yeah, let's do we've it. We've kind of already, I think we've kind of beat that horse dead for the a little Day. while. But yeah, but if we can hit this feedback here, I think that would bring it full circle. Yeah, this said, this one's here says, uh, and I don't know who this is from because I don't see the name on it, but I enjoyed hearing the recent feedback on the Blur's Day discussion, but thought of something you didn't bring up. Yes, thank you. Uh, we like that. Fill in the gaps here. If the goal would be to get rid of Sunday, 
then that could possibly be part of why the four ten uh, four to ten hour shift excuse me four ten hour shifts versus five eights in a typical work week seems to be on the rise. I did love the argument that going from a six day week to a seven day week has already happened. So there you go. So he talks uh, about the four you know so people working four ten, four ten hour days instead of five eights kind of seems yeah. seems more efficient anyway. Am I bad at math? I'm trying to see how that relates to the somehow the like eliminating getting rid of a day, eliminating a day of work because you go in for forty uh-huh. hours in four days instead of forty hours in five days, so you kind of have that fifth day sort of off. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I, I'm not sure how it relates to the subject of getting rid of Sunday. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, get see if I, I don't know. I don't. I don't get it. Um, yeah, I, I'm probably missing something here. Um, but yeah. he does say I did love the argument that going from a six day week to a seven day week has already happened. <laughs> um, that was that was an an argue, that was an Omar argument right there. All right, um, good deal. Omar just comes in and you know drops a few words. Bam, mic drop. Right. <laughs> and, uh, um, if you don't know what argument that was, you can go back and listen to that episode. <laughs> Blur's day math. Um, now we had an interesting. Um, feedback on tribulation now when did we talk about the tribulation remind me uh see this is my, my it memory was in here. relation to the blur's day math episode because oh, okay. we were talking about the antichrist and the point of the blur's day article by thomas strauss mm, was mm. the idea that the antichrist will change times and laws okay right and obviously we're talking about tra- that transition into the yeah tribulation. okay okay yeah and omar's point was that um, well, from Daniel's perspective, when that was written, times and laws have changed several times since then, <laughs> right? <laughs> because we're no longer on the same kind of calendar that they had in Daniel's day. Um, so yeah, that, and yeah, anyway, so we talked about the tribulation in that, and there's some feedback here on the tribulation. Do you want to read that? Uh, sure. Let's see here. Concerning the preparations for the tribulation, um, James here says, uh, because no man knoweth the day or the hour, Satan has had to have someone ready to assume the Antichrist role at all times since the ascension of Jesus. <clears throat> Interesting. Mm. Um, I believe we tend to, quote, Americanize our view, which is natural to do, but we tend to not look at prophecy in light of 2,000 years of history. Uh, in those two millennia since Christ, Rome fell, wars have been fought almost constantly. The Black Plague swept across the world and many Antichrists have come and gone. I believe that Jesus could have come back at any point in, the pa- in these past 2,000 years. I'm pretty, um, I think he means, I'm pretty sure there were times that didn't seem convenient for the Lord to come, but he could have. Many Christians tend to look at current events and find every way possible to connect them to the tribulation, which may be true. Can, I'm not, I'm not yeah. going to discount the fact that there is... Um, uh, opportunism in some preachers to try to, you know, obviously that's kind of, you know, ear tickling that, oh, we're in the last days. There's right. you know, the red heifer or this is coming. We're about there. They're <laughs> wanting to do this and we're all about to be, you know, and, and it's kind of, yeah. you, obviously you get more people to listen to you. Before um, you get to the next paragraph though, yeah. let's, uh, let's maybe take this in chunks here. Yeah, let's do. There, the, the, the phrase here, because no man knoweth the day nor the hour, Satan has had to have someone ready to assume the Antichrist role at all times since the ascension of Jesus. I, 
I got to admit, I don't think I agree with that. Okay. Yeah. I don't know exactly what to think. Wait, um, what, what's your, why, why not? Here, here's why, because it takes a very human look at the scriptural pro- prophetic matters. Okay. Almost what? as if, as if God and Satan don't ever communicate <laughs> and as if Satan is trying to keep secrets from God and God is trying to keep secrets from Satan, mm-hmm. as if these things weren't already written in a book. Here's the way <laughs> I think it kind of tends to happen. I, I, don't, I don't think Satan necessarily has to have someone prepared in every generation because he doesn't know. I mean, obviously he's not omniscient. He doesn't know what God knows. But I think when the time comes for the Antichrist to raise up, I think God's going to tell Satan, okay, raise him up. Really? Um, yeah, I, I think, I think it'll, it'll probably go something like that. Uh, there was a couple episodes back, I referenced that passage in First Kings, I think it was. Mm, um, the lying in, spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, in dealing with King Ahab. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the heavenly host is there before God. And they're being given instructions by God that God is going to set about to ordain the deception of King Ahab. That's just to bring about his destruction. Um, The lying spirit comes and says, I'll go, or I'm sorry, God is going to set about to persuade King Ahab. Mm -hmm, Let me mm -hmm, rephrase that. mm -hmm. And he asks the host of heaven, essentially, you know, who's going to go and do do this and persuade his prophets uh, for him. And some of the hosts of heaven answer it and presumably God doesn't like their responses because the story continues. And then one comes forward and says, I will persuade him. And the Lord says, wherewith? And he says, I will be a lying spirit unto his prophets. And the Lord says, go and do and thou shalt, um, I forget the word, it's like succeed or mm-hmm. thou shalt pre- prevail. Is the prevail. Word prevail. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so basically God authorizes this angel, this lying spirit, this fallen being to go and do something to the prophets of King Ahab so that they lie to King Ahab. I mean, that's what the story says. Go read it. I'll put the, uh, the, the link in the show notes. Um, but I think to say, well, Satan has to have someone prepared in every generation. It kind of ignores the sovereign matters of God here that God does communicate with, with Satan. He's Satan is not a, free spirit, we might say. Uh, he needs authorization from God mm, uh, mm. to do things. And, and and why is it we can acknowledge that in the story of Job? We can acknowledge that in the story of First Kings there that I referenced. But when it comes to the matter of the Antichrist, we're like, oh, Satan has no clue when it's going to happen, and, and which obviously he doesn't. But, but for that reason, he has to have someone prepared in every generation. No, I think if Satan knows God is sovereign, and he does, and Satan knows God has prophetic scriptures written on this matter, and Satan does know this, that Satan can just wait. And when God says, authorize him, Satan's going to do so. Um, if that makes sense. Too, um, y- yes. Uh, some, I, was, I was thinking while you were talking, so I wasn't getting all that. But um, two questions that come to mind. Something you said that I thought, okay, now that's a part that I connect with. Now I got to think of what, uh, what it was you said. Um, I guess part of it is, can, um, does Satan, does Satan have the, if you will, the ability, you said, you know, he needs permission, right? To, to like, even to afflict Job, he needed permission. To Uh, a degree, yes. Yes. Does, does Satan have the ability, if you will, or even the authority to, quote, prepare someone to be the Antichrist? You know what I mean? 
I mean, it'd be like, um, does, how, how is he like grooming someone and are yeah. they like involved in the occult and he's influencing their mind or, or, or is he just trying yeah. to wreak havoc anywhere he can right. to, you know what well, I'm saying? Like, how does he well, prepare the Antichrist? Say, that's why I say this takes, this is almost looking at Satan and God as human enemies, right? Mm -hmm. Where God is on one side of the battlefield, yeah. strategically doing things, hiding his ways from Satan. Right. <laughs> Satan's on the other side of the battlefield, strategically doing things, hiding his ways from God. Yeah. So Satan has to have someone prepared in every generation. Obviously, Satan doesn't know the day nor the hour, but these are not human enemies we're talking about. We're talking about God who has prophesied. He has ordained it to be so that there will come a time when the day or the hour comes that the Antichrist will be raised up. And I personally believe, based on the sovereign view of God, that when the time comes, God is going to tell Satan, okay, it's it's time. Okay. Uh, go ahead and raise up the Antichrist. Um, do you, do you it, think um, you're talking about um, the, these things being written in a book? Of course, you know, we have some, some details in the prophetic writings of scripture. Um, do you, and I, and, I, and this isn't, this isn't a question as to whether Satan is powerful or even devious and smart, but do you think Satan understands scripture? We talk, yes. we talk about, you know, the need for, um, you know, scripture interprets scripture and that God gives us light to understand scripture, but obviously Satan wouldn't have light in that way. Um, but do you think he understands scripture? I do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think he wildly misuses it uh, mm -hmm. like he did mm -hmm. with the temptation of Christ in the wilderness in Luke chapter four. So you feel um, like he knows that he will lose in the end? I believe so. Okay. I believe he does. Okay. Uh, he's not stupid. Uh, if he were stupid, <laughs> there's uh, the the world would be a little different. Um, no, he's very smart. Uh, yes, you know, using using religion and uh, false teachers as a means of duping millions of people uh, is certainly smart, um, and that's that's oh, exactly yeah. what he oh, does. Yes, absolutely. So he's not a fool. I just I, I realize that you know, to a and this this is a whole this can enter a whole discussion here about the sovereignty of God and what is God responsible for mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so on. Obviously, we would never say that God is responsible for sin. No, right? Uh, absolutely. Um, there's no way for us to ever understand it in that sense, that God is responsible for the sin. That would, that would be in contradistinction to his holiness. Um, <clears throat> however, Satan is is under God's sovereign order, under God's sovereign control, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. in, in some sense, and and where where those two things kind of mesh in the middle, I I don't know, I don't think anyone can know. All I know is God cannot sin; He cannot tempt man; He cannot uh, be tempted by man. He's absolutely apart from sin, but at the same time, Satan can't do things without God's authorization, and he cannot act outside of God's sovereign plan. He can't do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Satan knows this. Satan knows this. Mm -hmm. yeah, so I, even if Satan has a keen understanding of scripture, one of the things he has to understand is that he can't function outside of what God has said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I certainly knows that. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, to go on to the second uh, second chunk here of this feedback, it says, as I, or excuse me, a study I did recently was on Second Thessalonians 2, in which the chronology of the rapture and early tribulation events are described. The English phrase falling away comes from the Greek apostasia. There is a lot of debate about its application here, but if you take the meaning of the word alone, it means a departure. Obviously, many preach that there is a great spiritual apostasy in which many believers and unbelievers and churches will walk away. With this interpretation, it makes it easy for every Christian generation to view any kind of departure from the faith as a precursor to the rapture. Doesn't this contradict the common teaching that the rapture is the next event on God's prophetic timetable? Uh, so in other words, we always say the rapture is the next thing to happen, but he's saying if, if we're saying that there first will come a great falling away, then obviously that would be first to the rapture, if that's what we're actually saying. Mm-hmm. I don't see any Do other we... scripture to link this apostasy to the rapture. Instead, I view it as referring to the rapture itself based on the common definition of the word. Any, in, other, in other words, uh, a, what, how did he describe it here? Um, I'm raptures and uh, okay. What did he say? Um, a departure. A departure. There it is. Okay. Um, so he that's the way he's seeing that the apostasy is actually the, the one and the same with the rapture. Any doctrine huh. or teaching that creates fear in the hearts of believers, other than the fear of God, is a false teaching. That's an interesting f- statement too. We can talk about that. And I find that many Christians have been fearful of the world trending in the direction of the tribulation times. I find those same observations to show that Satan has always had things headed that direction because he has, because he has to be ready if the Lord were to come today. Hmm. So how would you summarize then that second paragraph there? Basically, I, I, what, I, what, I, what I see him saying is that the apostasy is one and the same with the rapture. Um, thus you think kind that's, of- that's what he's saying? Yeah, that's kind of what I felt like, that it's taking away then that that apparent problem that he sees of there being a falling away first before the revelation of the man of sin. But but to me, that's what the the falling away is not preparatory to the rapture. It's to to the day of Christ, to that uh, broader, you know, tribulation time uh, in which the man of sin will be revealed. So I don't see the um, I don't see the apostasy as being as as kind of warring against the rapture being imminent and being the next thing on the timetable. But um, anyway, what's your take? Uh, what's your takeaway on that thought? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think the common view is that when we look at the condition of the world and we see it getting worse and worse, you know, like uh, I think it's Second Timothy 3.13, things will wax worse and worse or mm-hmm. something. To that effect, <clears throat> I think we take that oftentimes as being, oh, it's getting so bad, the rapture must be coming soon, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, how do you measure apostasy? You know, the quantity the of apostasy. meter. Yeah, the apost. <laughs> <laughs> the apost- meter. Okay. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, how do you measure the quantity of of apostasy or or the the degree of apostasy? I mean, obviously, every generation has seen some degree of apostasy, and, yeah. and every generation of Christianity has believed that the rapture would be imminent. And and it's not that it's unscriptural to say that prior to the rapture, things are going to get really really bad. 
uh, right, from the standpoint sure. of apostasy. But to say that, you know, oh, well, that that's actually contradictory to the saying that the rapture is the next thing on God's calendar. I don't think it is because the the condition of the world in its apostasy is just that. It's a condition. It's not it's not an event, right? I see. It's, okay. So you're you're saying there won't be like a singular apostasy, but that apostasy will have happened prior to the rapture. Well, sure, it's going to happen prior mm. to the rapture. Well, Things yeah. will wax worse and worse until the day that the rapture mm. takes place. But that's why I say it's not an event, it's a condition. It's, a condition. it's, it's mm. not deterministic, it's stochastic. All right, you lost me right there. <laughs> <laughs> so like uh like stochastic describes the the increasing probability of an event, right? Okay. Without there being a threshold to say, okay, we've hmm. seen this much of this, now there's the threshold, now the event's going to happen. Yeah. Right? Okay. Stochastic just means this happening more and more, so that means it could be likely. Right? That's that's the okay. idea of stochastic. Deterministic is there is a threshold where okay, this much has happened. Boom, now the rapture. Does that make sense? And I, I see the difference. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah. But with uh with with the condition of apostasy in the world, I don't see that as deterministic. It's not an event, it's it's stochastic over time. Okay. Um then to actually he asks a kind of a last unrelated question here. Okay. That I might we might as well just hit before we're because we've got just a few minutes left. Um so he says a random question concerning hermeneutical principles. Now, for those listening, if that sounds like a big and weird word, it kind of is hermeneutical. Uh, it basically means the um, the rules by which we interpret. So there are certain rules that we follow as we interpret scripture. Um, and he's asking about one of them and one that we hear about. And he says, have you ever heard of the principle of first mention? Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. actually. Okay. He says, it's typically defined as the first time a certain word is used in scripture helps define and characterize that word for the rest of scripture. It seems to be very prevalent in Mennonite circles. I believe this can explain why some get so far off into numerology and other wacky interpretations. I don't know exactly the connection there, um, but uh, maybe saying, oh, look, the, you know, the number four, the first time it was ever used was here and it was in reference to this. And so it, it means that maybe that's where they kind of get the definitions of the numbers. You know, we've talked about seven is yeah. the number of perfection, <clears throat> six is the number of man, 12 is the number of whatever, whatever <laughs> leadership, you know, I think I heard. Um, okay. Wow. Really? Ma yeah. <laughs> that was kind of new to me, but until recently. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> Um, it was 12. We, yeah. Was, let's just make uh, up one of our own and start saying it. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, let, let's think on 14, that. 14 is the number of chin beards. So <laughs> <laughs> let's just go with that. <laughs> I don't know. Is, is the number 14 ever in scripture? Probably not. That probably proves that they didn't have beards like we thought that they did because had they had beards... <laughs> there would have been the number 14 there somewhere. They, they, they would have been just chin beards. In fact, right. I think, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, I think maybe there's a conspiracy there that probably has been uh, redacted from the text over the last several hundred years, the yeah. number 14, because okay. yeah, there's a secret and, and, society that. Yeah. And the number 15 means we're in the weeds. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Back to the question. So, um, the, uh, 
the, the principal of first mention, um, he's kind of wondering uh, whether we've heard of that. And yeah. maybe I our, think it's fair. Thought. I, I think I think it's fair. I I don't know that I I find it hard to call it a law. I've heard oh, yeah. it referred to as the law of first <laughs> mention because I I do think that the Lord has the authority in Scripture to take a word and use it later in a way that it wasn't used in the first place. Um, I mean that does happen. <laughs> I mean, if scripture. we're going to be truly authoritarian about it, maybe we should be like it should be the law of my mention. <laughs> it would be like whatever I happen to say it means at the time is what it means. That's the law of my mention. That's the principle of hermeneutics. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, a first mention. Well, as I look at, I, I uh, looked it up two, three different places, and I don't, even between them, they didn't seem to have a, an absolutely unified definition of it. I mm -hmm. think the general idea <laughs> that originally maybe was the seed thought of the first mention. Um, is a good idea. As it's stated, I personally, <clears throat> I personally think maybe it's overdefined. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, but obviously, the first place you may see it in scripture, yeah, I mean, you have to understand that, um, that words, it, that, that is a really uh, neat and helpful kind of fascinating thing. When you're looking, when you're doing a word study, um, and you look sometimes at a word and how it's translated, you'll see this vast difference. And you're like, what? You know, like, like the word for meditate. Uh, you know, you'll look it mm -hmm. up maybe in Strong's and it'll say, um, meditate, growl, murmur. And you're like, growl? What, <laughs> what how does growl deal with meditate? You know, so then you have to ask yourself the question. And this is kind of that first mention idea. Um, you have to ask yourself the question, what is the root concept from which these definitions derive? What is that core idea of this word where it could mean meditate or it could mean growl, you know? Um, well, in that case, you say, well, it's something internal. It's so, something internal that creates that response, right? Mm -hmm. um, where when it's something growls at you, it's this, you know, visceral internal uh, reaction to something that's happening inside in a similar way that meditation is a very internal uh, thing. So, um, so to go back and say, what is the original thought of this word? I mean, what is the core idea from which these derivatives come? To me, that's kind of a first mentioned idea, but just to say, hey, that's the first time it's mentioned and therefore it defines every other time. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's you hard, have to be careful. It's hard to make that into a law. Mm. You know, yeah, right, right. Maybe a general principle. But that's interesting. I'd be interesting, uh, uh, interested, James, in how it may be some more uh, clarification on how you feel that maybe for um, the numerology and the interpretations, that law of first mention comes into play. How, how yeah, they like use that. Yeah, that'd be interesting um, to see that I like too. Yeah. So anyway, um, <clears throat> great. If you've got any, we're, we're just about ready to draw to a close here, but um, uh, we've, we've talked about God smiling on us and a little bit of uh, follow-up here and the tribulation. And uh, so if you've got any thoughts of your own, before we uh, run into the after show here, I just want to say one more time, uh, questions, comments, uh, disagreements, um, an angle that we haven't seen, whatever feedback we read earlier that said, hey, there's something I think you didn't think yeah. about. I really Smart. like that. Uh, dad Smart. jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Dad jokes. Yep. Pass it on our way. Reason together podcast at gmail.com.
Well, thank you for being with us once again on another episode of Reason Together. <clears throat> we are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together. Reason Together.